All right, everybody, uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, a few people might still be rolling in. Um, thank you guys so much for coming out to Keystone Young Adult Ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church. Um, we seek to just embrace the fact that we are the present of the church as well as the future. Um, we're kind of founded on uh, word, worship, and witness. We want to embrace those three values um, and do everything we can to, to demonstrate that and kind of grow in uh, fellowship with each other and fellowship with the Lord. So thank you guys for coming. Uh, as you came in, there were sign-up sheets out there. I want to go over that briefly. Um, one of them is a t-shirt sign-up link for a second round of t-shirts. Some of you signed up on that thing so long ago, and I love you for it. But ideally, we want more people to sign up for it before we place that order because they're cheaper. If you order more t-shirts, it's a whole big thing. Okay, so if you want to be on that list, uh, I'm, I'm, at this point, I have no plans to place that order until we get more people on the list. But if you're willing to pay slightly more than we did the first round, you can come tell me, hey, I put my name down. Just give me a shirt, whatever. Okay, I would do that. Uh, the second thing is there's a global event sign up thing out there. I think we put it out there. Uh, end of October, there's a global missions week here for Fellowship Bible Church, and they have asked Keystone to help with a game night at the Sportsplex. What direction is that? Somewhere. Uh, and so we are going to be at the Sportsplex kind of facilitating an open gym kind of thing with the missionaries and their families and all that different stuff, kind of adding structure to what otherwise would be an open gym of chaos. Um, and for half of that stuff, we might very well be teaching them the sport. So there's a few people signed up for that, actually a, quite a large amount. Um, and if you want to be a part of that, I think it's October 29th in the evening. Um, lastly, we have a bonfire and camping outing uh, at the Schiffler property at the end of this month. Uh, there are KLT made awesome sign-up sheet out there. Um, and so it's, it's set up in columns where you can decide kind of what you're going to bring. We'll do hot dogs and all that good stuff. And so you can sign up to bring snacks or sides or whatever. Um, and then I believe the deal is tents if you want them, right, to camp and do all that good stuff. So it's going to start at 5, do we say 5 o'clock? Saturday the 28th. Okay, cool. So be sure to sign up if you just want to bring something. Um, if you're not able to bring anything, that's totally fine. You're still welcome to come out. Um, but we will be providing our own stuff for that. So um, we will be sure to give the Schifflers thanks for their hospitality. Uh, we are starting uh, kind of our, our, our first ever series uh, for Keystone. Uh, several months ago, we did kind of a mini series, but the talks kind of began to to morph into just one or two talks about a lot of different things. Uh, this will be a, a very specific series um, where we will, we will come back each and every week um, and, and go through the content regularly. So it's going to be something to rely upon and grow upon as we do that. Um, if somebody were to ask you, uh, do you know the holy virtues of, of a Christian life? Um, that question might cause you to stumble or it might cause you to think maybe super spiritually um, and you might not necessarily know the answer, um, but the answer is in fact the fruit of the spirit. Um, the, the holy virtues of a Christian life are, are not some sort of web of, of spirituality that we must try to attain in order to better know this mysterious God, but it's actually a very practical thing um, that, that, is, that Paul calls the fruit of the spirit. Um, and, and what's interesting about that is it's not called the fruits of the Spirit. Um, one of my mentors a few years ago said if, if, if it was addressed as the fruits of the Spirit, we could all choose which ones we liked, and we would just show those. But it is an all-encompassing idea that this is going to be the fruit of the Spirit. So each and every week as we go through the series, we will be going through Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. If you want to go ahead and turn there with me now, do it. Um, because we are going to be reading that each and every week. It's going to get nailed down into your minds. Uh, and so from that 
uh, section of verses, we are going to then branch out into the Bible further, focusing on a different fruit a week. And so I'm going to go ahead and read um, Galatians 5. I'm going to start in verse 16, but when, once we finish 23, we're going to hone in on those last two uh, verses, okay? Uh, so beginning in Galatians 5, verse 16, um, Paul says this to the church in Galatia. Uh, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And now he goes into detail on what, these, what that actually means. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, verse 19. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Stop right there. So... Free grace theology and understanding eternal security means people inheriting the kingdom of God does not mean people entering it. There are so many Christians that are going to heaven that struggle with the fruits of the flesh. That's not what this is saying. What it is saying is there is a way to walk by the spirit and there is a way to walk by the flesh. They are at war in this world and we are effectively going to be doing one or the other. Verse 22. And so here is our, our almost our memory verse challenge. Galatians five twenty-two. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Um, and so that is an all-encompassing situation that, that gives us a grasp on what the fruit of the Spirit actually is. Meaning, if you are walking by the Spirit, this is what is going to be displayed. And so what we are going to do uh, is, is go in reverse order... One fruit per week at a time, and we are going to end with love. And there is a very important and, and specific reason why we're doing that, and we will continue to understand what that reason is as we grow closer to that um, part of the fruit of the Spirit. But we are going to start with self-control. But before I do that, there is some language in here that talks about the law. It first pops up in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then at the end of verse 23, against such things there is no law. So what in the world is this law then that seems to be uh, in, in contrast to these fruits? And so we can actually flip uh, earlier to the book of Romans. So if you want to flip with me to Romans uh, 8, uh, 1 through 4. Um, Romans 6, 7, and 8 are huge. Uh, in these three chapters, Paul has a huge pivot point where he is going from addressing non-Christians to addressing Christians and ironing out what it means to be changed by Christ. Because accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it's not closing a door on what Jesus has done for you to get you into heaven. It is so much more than that. It's actually opening the door to what Jesus can do for you as you continue to live a godly life down here. And that is to attain the fruit of the Spirit. And so Romans 8 starts, and my heading here is Life in the Spirit. Uh, the first four verses uh, say this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from what? The law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, 
but according to the Spirit. Uh, an important word that is often forgotten about there is actually the word might. The, the, the language there is a subjunctive mood, and it says in Romans 8, 4, in order that the righteous requirement of that law might be fulfilled in us. We might live by the Spirit. We might not. We are called to live by the Spirit, but we often don't. And so that, to understand Romans 8 in that way is very, very important because it, it, it expresses that idea. And so as it supports free grace theology and eternal security and that simply believing in Jesus' name is what makes you a Christian, there is a tremendous importance to a walk of sanctification. It's not about staying a Christian. It's about acting like one. How do we know that? Well, if you look at Romans 7, the word may appears all over the place. If you look at verse 4, Romans 7, 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so the payment has been, so you can be, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Okay? There's, there's the call to action there, and there is a way to understand that. And so Paul himself is struggling with that concept. The word I appears 47 times in Romans chapter 7. Paul is being real and honest and upfront that, hey, here is the church, Rome. Here, here, is, here is the truth of what Christians are, and even I am struggling with it. And that's what's so cool about how he enters into Romans 8 because he pivots, and the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times in Romans chapter 8 because it is the fruit of the Spirit. It is not anything that we are performing or anything that we are doing ourselves. And if you look at Romans 6, even in 21 and 23, uh, Paul says, this is what a past life looks like. Certainly for a Christian, this is what a past life should look like. But what fruit, Romans 6, 21, but what fruit were you getting at the time of the things of which you are now ashamed? Uh, confusing language, I'm going to read it again. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, which is actually a good connotation for the word slave, the fruit you get leads to what? Sanctification and in its ultimate end, eternal life. So for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it all paints this beautiful picture of what justification means and what sanctification ought to look like. And so what we are going to do is uh, break down um, self-control together. And so uh, additionally, what I want to do with this study uh, is every fruit we do, uh, we're going to start in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, see where it fits into that idea of Galatians and, and what Paul is using it for. But we're going to see a New Testament example and an Old Testament example of this fruit. And so to, to understand the different scenarios of that, um, it's going to be easiest for us to Find it in the New Testament to see how it provokes the thought of understanding what that fruit is by how Paul means it. And then seeing it appear in the Old Testament to kind of provoke our thoughts and understand, wow, okay, that is that fruit, that, that characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit being exemplified. Okay, and it's funny because if you listen closely, I will continually slip up and call self-control a fruit as if it is fruits of the Spirit. But self-control is one manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit because it is all the Holy Spirit being made known in us. Okay? So uh, every uh, talk is going to kind of have a quip or an idea. Uh, and so the idea for tonight is self-control. And, and, and the phrase I want to chase is uh, this idea that the things you do, do things to you. Uh, we, have, we have said that before. I've tied it into a few different talks. Um, and what I mean by that, the idea that the things you do, do things to you, is 
we are creatures of habit and behavior. We have a belief system in place where we are going to find these routines and find these habits. And ultimately, what we do eventually does back to us. Um, and and that's, a, that's a biological truth. It is a social truth. It is an emotional truth. We get into these ruts of thinking or these, or these environments that we can't seem to pull ourselves out of. And then we are uh, almost ironically impacted by that which we were originally trying to impact. And so the things you do, do things to you. So we need to tie that into self-control in some way. So the first place I want to go is 1 Corinthians 9. And we're going to read 24 and 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27. Uh, and Paul says this, beginning in uh, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but instead I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So a lot of things are being brought up. Lastly is Paul is saying, listen, I'm going to hold myself to a certain standard because I want what I say to be what I mean. I want what I say to be what I am. And so not only does he get personal with that, but he also uses a practical earthly example for how the world might use self-control. And that example is in an athlete that is training. Do you not know, verse 24, that in a race, all the runners run, but only one's going to get that prize. And so self-control plays an important factor in that. Um, but what we are seeing here uh, is, is self-control is, is actually self-discipline. And it is not a fruit of the self. It does not come from the self. And that is a problem, and it's a pervasive one, because all we can think about and all we can do um, outside of, of a right church posture towards this idea is that you're supposed to control yourself. You're supposed to do this for you. You're supposed to be in control of yourself. But the fact of the matter is, the self is not the weapon that fights the battle. The self is the enemy. We are fighting our own brokenness. We were created broken human beings, restored by Christ, sure. Going to heaven, sure. But we are still dealing with an old remnant of what used to be our nature. And if you have yet to believe what Jesus did on the cross for you, this is your current nature too. You're probably experiencing this sin and brokenness. And so to attain self-control is not to do it yourself. It's actually to let go and understand that, wait a second, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So God can truly maybe move through me so I don't need to task myself with it. Because what are you ultimately tasking yourself with? A twofold problem. One is it's performance uh, minded, and the second is you're not going to do it well. And so you fall into this trap of trying to perform, but it is not from the self it is for the self. Self-control is biblically self-discipline. It is not self-esteem. It is not self-reliance. And unfortunately, worldly self-control is simply saying no, but true self-control is saying yes to all things that transform the self into a spirit-driven vessel for God. Worldly self-control is saying no. True self-control is saying yes. Uh, end of my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year, uh, a buddy and I were, were counseling uh, a younger peer uh, at JMU through uh, pornography addiction. 
Uh, and what he said, uh, this guy that was struggling to us, was, um, I just, I, I, I'm so good at saying no for a while, and then I'm not. Then I'm bad at saying no. And what uh, my buddy Xander and I realized was, this guy needs to start saying yes to Jesus. Because saying no to sin actually puts the attention on the sin, and you're just, you're, you're trying to not engage in the sin that you're focused on. But what would it look like to fill that void by saying yes to Jesus? It is, it is not self-control of withholding from sin. It is instead letting the Spirit control you right to God. Because we all need fulfillment. It is so much better to counsel somebody through an addiction by not focusing on, don't let that fulfill you, don't let that fulfill you. But instead say, let this fulfill you. Let this truth fulfill you. What's so cool about this is self-control biblically leads to all things eternal. That runner running the race will, will train and will understand self-control almost in a worldly way, maybe saying no to what they eat or yes to what they exercise, but they're, they're going after a trophy that's going to rot and collect us. What we are dealing with here is something eternal, an eternal mindset. And so for us, it's a, it's a dichotomy. We have got to deal with, we are going to reap the fruit of the flesh or we are going to reap the fruit of the spirit. And that is evident in Christians and obviously evident in non-Christians as well as they continue to struggle. We will either be controlled by the self, your selfish desires will motivate you, your belief system will be about you and your behavior will reflect that, or you'll, you will be led by the spirit and you will understand that letting go is actually what's going to get you something in the first place. Relatively simple concept, super hard to do. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 talks a little bit about that. Uh, Let's go ahead and flip to the Old Testament and see an example of self-control being demonstrated. Maybe good, maybe not. We'll find out. Genesis 39, 1 through 10. Uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Uh, There's 10 verses here where self-control is is made known. And so our discussion questions tonight are are going to uh, embrace this passage maybe a little bit more so than the New Testament passage. Um, The the questions will also be open-ended enough, and obviously we'll have an opportunity to talk. But I want you to think through the lens of self-control here uh, as as I kind of narrate through this story and through this situation. Uh, Beginning at the beginning of Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. The order is important there. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So what? Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Verse five, from the time that he made him owner in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So talk about favor with the Lord. Talk about a pre-existing relationship with the Lord that is somehow characterizing Joseph as something special. Where not only he is blessed and protected, but everything he seems to touch is blessed and protected. Uh, verse, here we go. Okay. Verse 6b. Now Joseph okay, was handsome in form and appearance. 
And that's how you know we're getting started. Verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Be with me. Verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Okay, So it's ironic to look through this passage with the lens of self-control because he demonstrates it very well. She doesn't have it at all. Okay? She's at the point where she's pretty much trying to lay down with whatever has a pulse. And so she's coming at this guy, right? And she wants him. And he has this status and this stature. And even everyone in the land is knowing, okay, something is blessing this guy left and right. And so Joseph is, is demonstrating a self-control where as he is saying no, he is explaining what he is saying yes to. He is not just withholding himself because a a woman bearing down day after day to get him to lay with him. That is something that a lot of guys now will fall victim to. And it's the same truth if you flip the sexes, right? Uh, If you were to continue reading, we're not going to do so. But you will see that she actually frames him for sleeping with her anyway. She runs out front so the community can see that she took his garment and threw it in her bed with her and said, come back to bed. So he can maybe be, oh, it's as if I already did it. Why don't I just start? And he doesn't break. He is exercising self-control. And so what fuels him to do that? Well, we begin in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And so as he encounters this situation, we're we're called to believe that this is going to be inevitable, that we're going to come across situations where self-control, the mindset is not going to be, oh, I'm not supposed to sleep with her, I'm not supposed to sleep with her. The mindset is instead, wait a second. The Lord has blessed me with all this stuff. And I know the truth to the point where I'm going to actually share the truth with her. Because what he does is uphold marriage. (laughs) What he does is uphold the sanctity of marriage amidst this relationship. And listen, he's given me the whole house. He's not even here. I could, what he is saying is, I could lay with you. But you're his. By the sanctity of marriage, by God's design, you are his. And I won't be with you. I won't even be around you. I won't talk to you. I'm taking my space because you are invading on this status, this stature that I have had. And it is a status and stature that has found favor with the Lord. That is what we are called to do. When we are faced with trials, we don't want to be ignorant of them because people will, will due to willful ignorance, fall and realize lack of self-control in hindsight. And, and you know, you go through things and we learn but to understand that the fruit of the Spirit is going to manifest itself in you. And, and wouldn't you rather be self-disciplined to the point where when that comes up, there isn't an ounce of doubt. And when it comes up, not only do you avoid it, but you also speak truth. Say, lady, keep your pants on, okay? I'm going to respect marriage, okay? You're high as a kite. You're wrong. I am in control. I have been given. It, it is the exact opposite of what we see in politics today. Less and less politicians have self-control. They identify as having tons of it because they control themselves to do all sorts of stupid stuff with the power they have. I'm not trying to get political and talk about political plans, but what I'm talking about is sexual morality. What I'm talking about is when you are given things and opportunity and access, 
What has the Lord given you? And what has he given it to you for? Because for all of us, to a certain extent, we have the opportunity to exercise self-control. And so we have got to flip that switch of it is not from us because the Bible is clear of what is from us. If it is of your own accord, here is what you will bear. You will bear sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, etc. Right? It, it, that is from you. That is the natural worldly thing that will come from you trying to produce fruit. It is ridiculous. It is unattainable. And everything about salvation and everything about sanctification speaks otherwise. Bearing fruit means coming to the end of yourself, okay? Unfortunately, even from pulpits now, even from viral YouTube videos and Christians meeting, it's like a life hack and a recipe for here's how you're going to go out and produce all this stuff. The prosperity gospel gets bearing fruit wrong. All sorts of theology gets bearing fruit wrong because we're ultimately trying to attain it ourselves in a way that doesn't credit the Lord. Because what is the context of Galatians 5? Paul is writing and writing and writing to these different churches and saying, listen, I am addressing you, established Christians, hopefully established churches. You are still going to be dealing. You are still going to be coming across this different stuff. And so we have got to understand that self-control is self-discipline. It is not self-esteem. It is not self-reliance. And we have got to understand that worldly self-control is saying no Biblical self-control is saying yes to God because Joseph said yes to God so often and so frequently at this point in his life that saying no to something else was not dis, like attached. It was not separated from his saying yes to God. And he was honoring a moral code, not to earn anything, but to protect himself from something. And why? It's because the things you do do things to you. We have got to understand the importance of staying away from that which is wrong and pursuing that which is right because that can happen at the same time. The spiritual warfare becomes a lot easier if you stop trying to perform it yourself because you don't need the answers. You don't know the answers. You simply can ask God, please, please reveal your spirit like Paul asks it to do. And so I encourage you to... Take to heart Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It can, it can motivate a couple of things. The first thing it can do is if you have yet to believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, I encourage you to think about it seriously. And I mean, ask yourself, do I know that I'm going to heaven if I die? That kind of simplistically seriously. Because to understand that there is brokenness and there is sin, it's a very widespread belief system. It's just no, people don't often think about it spiritually. Um, for example, a peer group of mine, a lot of them think, Sin doesn't exist. But if you tell them, hey, does brokenness exist? They're like, yeah. Does wrongdoing exist? Yeah. Um, does malice and strife and immorality and impurity, that all exist? Oh, but sin, oh no, I don't know about all that God stuff. Sin is not a spiritual word. It defines all of it. So God can ultimately define you. And so if you can accept that, that the book of John uses the word believe 98 times, that all you have to do is believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So you don't have to pay the payment for the sin anymore. That's what opens the door for it continuing to try to get at you. The devil doesn't just want non-Christians. It wants Christians too. And so it can motivate you in that. The second thing it can motivate you to do is to preach yourself the gospel every day if you're already a Christian. Be like, wait a second, I am dead to law. The way Jesus fulfilled the law of the Old Testament and set free, it was groundbreaking culturally because, wait, all of a sudden the Gentiles are involved? Non-Jews can go to heaven? Yeah, They can. That doesn't make much sense. You're right. That doesn't seem fair. It's not. 
Jesus dying on the cross for our sins is the most unfair thing you will ever come across. Nothing about it is fair, but it is a free free gift, and it is free grace, and it is ours for the taking. So what can we do? We can say, wait a second, wait a second. I don't need to look myself in the mirror and try to perform self-control. I can realize I'm dead to law. I'm dead to that idea. God, please work. Please reveal yourself in this. Help me say yes to you so I don't have to focus on saying no to anything else. I won't be able to. I don't want to say anything to sin. I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to chase after it. I don't want to give it the time of day. I don't know about you, but there's an easy way to go about a Christian life dragging something with you whether it's sin, whether it's, I don't know. That's up to you to decide. But the point is, if you are not fully committed to Jesus, I encourage you to do that for eternal security. But if you are already a Christian, I encourage you to fully commit to Jesus because it makes a walk of sanctification worthwhile. We cannot effectively lift our hands in submission to God if they are hanging on to something. And so it also begs the question, what do you do? Because if the things you do do things to you, it is an important question for us to go over. Let me pray for us. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, God, as we enter into a time of discussion, uh, I pray that everybody in this room would, would uh, realize that this is a safe place, a safe space, that we can um, share thoughts um, and meet everybody where we're at, God, and I pray that you would meet us here as well. Um, as we enter into these discussion questions in, in, in these small groups, um, I pray that you will have the voices heard that you brought. Um, I pray that you will give us all ears to listen. Um, hearts to retain God, and I pray that we can just grow together um, as Keystone, and we can understand further um, what self-control actually means from a biblical perspective, and we can start to reevaluate the fruit of the Spirit so that when we see these words, God, we never actually look at them the same again. We understand what it means to be self-disciplined in the name of Jesus Christ. I lift up that time now, and I pray for it in your Son's name, which is powerful. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, Tanner, can you go back? Uh, he's going to pop up discussion questions. Um, and so what I want to do is have people, uh,